From multiple secure locations in Minneapolis or near enough, this is Nice Games Club, the show where nice game devs talk gaming and game development. I'm Ellen Burns Johnson, and I make nice games. I'm Steve McGregor, and I make nice games. And I'm Martha Croy, and I make nice games also. For this week's episode, our topics are economies and ergonomics. And so, if everyone's ready, let's start. I like the way you keep us in, Mark. <laughs> yeah, that's good. Uh, we've mentioned this a couple times, but like, I'm the only one who can hear the theme song because yeah. we're still figuring things out here uh, on Nice Games Club in this uh, mm-hmm. uh, distributed clubhouse. And so we- I have to sort of dance out the final notes of the theme song <laughs> so that I don't have to be the one who s- talks first when it's over. <laughs> Yes. Even though a really simple solution to it would be for me just to be the one who talks first. But, you know, so it goes. <laughs> so it goes. Yeah. <laughs> so I like I the current system. Go ahead, Steven. I was just oh. saying I like when Mark goes with wiggly wiggly with his fingers. <laughs> wiggly wiggly wiggly. <laughs> yeah. Uh, I heard that Metro Nexus is on possibly from another new console. Oh, you don't say. Um, huh? Yeah. So um, I... So once Widget Satchel shipped and I and I woke up out of my days um, mm-hmm. from the launch of the thing, um, I wanted to go back to working on Metro Nexus, which longtime listeners will know all about and new time listeners can figure out as we go along. Um, but it's a game I've been working on for a long, long time. In fact, it's so old that it was originally designed to be an OUYA launch title. That is not a joke. That's exact. That's true. <laughs> it was that was what it was for. Nice. And it's just been percolating ever since, and you know how it goes. And so um, it was uh, made in Adobe Air uh, in ActionScript, otherwise known as Flash. And I've talked about this on the show a couple of times, um, with my history with Flash and, and how it's still close to my heart. Um, but this is a code base that's really mature, but I took two years off to work on Widget Satchel. And so in that time, it, you know, it is now less and less practical to release a Switch ga- or a, a, um, a Flash game. And uh, certainly impossible to release it on certain platforms. Um, it's still totally feasible to work on a Flash game and put it out on Steam um, or on iOS. These are things most people may not know, but it's still a fairly robust and perfectly usable platform. But mm-hmm. in the space that I'm living in now, where I want to release games on consoles, and particularly on the Switch, it's not, it's not possible. But, um, and I, again, I've talked about it on the show before, there is now a tool chain where I can take my code and port it to another language called Hacks which is designed to be as close as possible to ActionScript 3, the language that I wrote this game in, so that a lot of the projects could be ported over. And then the thing about Hacks is that the Hacks compiler is a transpiler. What it does is it takes your code and then it turns it into another language. And then that language can then have its own compiler and on whatever it works for. So it's really the the true dream of write once and run anywhere. Uh, Hacks is a way into it, and it happens to be a language that was designed to be very similar to ActionScript 3 because that's what its initial audience was. It's been years since that's been the case. Uh, and so the language is now basically a new language to people who learn it for the first time rather than a transitional language like it was for me. But I spent the last couple months taking my MetroNexus code base and moving it over to this other language and using uh, libraries that existed that I used for in ActionScript and I found equivalents in hacks. Mm-hmm. And... Um, using a tool chain that actually will let me uh, cr- transpile my code into C++, which, if you know, can basically be compiled to run on anything in the universe, um, including uh, any consoles. 
And so um, I have now got, uh, as of just the other day, um, I have the game running completely on my developer's uh, Switch. Uh, nice. So that pretty much seals the deal. It's coming to Switch. Uh, when is a really interesting question. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> I don't have a great answer for that. I've, I, years ago on the show, I made a promise to finish the game in that calendar year. And then right after that, we started working on Widget Satchel. Yeah. And so I've learned not to make those kinds of promises. But at that time, I felt I, I had about a year left to work on it. And I kind mm -hmm. of still feel that way because that, that's about when uh, development stopped. Uh, there's a little bit more at play now because I still have to do a lot of performance optimization for running on the Switch and, and thinking about how a PC build is going to work using the same code base and so on. Um, but that's the project I'm on now. That's the next thing. And so um, I'm also pitching the game to develop or to publishers and trying to get a little bit of funding for it. And uh, now that Widget Satchel is behind me and I have a lot of that, the experience that that project was about, that's what I'm taking into this next thing. And yeah, Milestone, things running on Switch, running pretty well, not at a full frame rate. Um, Steven, you got a peek <laughs> at that. At that. That's a later problem. That is that is a later problem. <laughs> if I've learned if I've learned anything from working on Widget Satchel is that it can run at like twenty five frames a second and you're not in trouble. Like you yep. you can fix that. Um, yep. So that's been pretty good. Uh, I'm still looking for cer a certain tools that I had back in the ActionScript days. Uh, things for proper debugging and for profiling. I'm still uh, a little bit short on those tools with this new tool chain I'm using. So I'm a little worried that I'm going to be moving slower than I had in the past, but I have many more options are open to me. So I'm pretty excited about that. So that cool. that's, that's the big news on that thing. Yeah. Congratulations. Well, thank you. Uh, it's been a long time coming. I've been, I've been this, this potential has existed for a long time, but it was always in the back of my head because widget satchel needed to take precedence. Um, yeah. And finally, that's out of that's out of my way now. Finally, <laughs> <laughs> well, it's really cool to be able to hear you like talking about how you're taking your experiences from Widget Satchel and moving them forward. Because you know, when when we were in the thick of it with that ferret, um, <laughs> like we talked about some of our different different goals, um, the different goals of people who were on the Widget Satchel team and what they wanted to get out of it. Yeah. And one of the things you said you wanted to get out of it, Mark, was like the knowledge of you know, how to do these different ports and how to, how to bring a game to market and how to work with publishers or at least experiment with that and, and be able to get those experiences so you could carry them forward to other games. And it's happening. Yeah. Yeah. And Widget Satchel was the perfect project for a lot of this. I mean, as a game built in unity with a, with a relatively small scope for the type of game that it is, uh, being able to use that as the game that I pitched to Nintendo was, it's a lot easier to sell than Metro Nexus, which is, a little bit higher concept of a, of a, of a project. And that's something yeah. I'm learning now that I'm, I'm pitching it to uh, publishers. And I've talked previously in our GDC episode about doing Skype meetings and such, and you know, uh, uh, to pitch the game. Uh, and just the other day, I did a really interesting project uh, called the Global Games Pitch, which is run out of, uh, by a group out of Kiev, where yeah. it's a um, it's like a two day seminar where they have uh, two tracks per day and um, in previous years, this was something like a sort of um, publisher speed dating kind of event. Um, and I'm not sure exactly what form it took. But it, now in, in our current environment, it was such that it was an all day Zoom conference. And then you had 15 minute, a 15 minute slot in that time. And there were, um, you know, a, a dozen or more publishers tuning in to see your pitch. And so oh. um, uh, I, I got a slot on day two of this thing. And because the, it was in it was being hosted out of Kiev. Um, the time zones were such that 
Um, I was like the, the, the last slot of the day and it was around noon. Um, <laughs> so, uh, that was kind of interesting. And, but what was cool about it is that I was, um, I got up early and watched a bunch of the, these pitches from other people because I just joined yeah. the seminar and watched. And so, and taking a couple of notes to, you know, to, to refine my, my deck. And, you know, it's a really short pitch. It's eight minutes plus fi- uh, five minutes or so for Q&A if there's any questions from the attendees. And so I had to take what was my 20-minute pitch and really pare it down. And that was very difficult. And, yeah. the, and, wow. and, and seeing how other yeah. people did it and seeing the questions that, that the publisher representatives were asking, it was really fascinating. And it was just cool to hear about other people's cool games from all around the world. It was really, really fun. So I had a really good time with that. And I think my pitch went well, but I it didn't actually meet with any of the publishers. And so I didn't talk right. to them directly. I didn't see them in the conference. The questions they asked were relayed to the organizers. So it was a very, oh. in, it was very impersonal in a sense. Um, yeah. And so uh, also, uh, ultimately, I don't have anything riding on it. <laughs> like, <laughs> I, I may get an email from one of them in the future. I don't know. I'm not counting on it. But it was a really mm-hmm. enjoyable experience. Cool. That's, That's cool. Mm-hmm. You also did a postmortem on Widget Satchel recently, right? Yes. And I mentioned this. Uh, so in the, the a previous episode, um, I, I recorded a little tag uh, mentioning this. Um, so it's in a, a show notes for the last Game Jam episode we did. But uh, we'll put it in, in these notes as well. Our monthly International Game Developers Association chapter meetings, which we normally hold in a, uh, um, a, a web developer uh, space, in the cities here we uh, hold them there once a month uh, but of course we can't do that now and so we've moved mm-hmm. to doing them online and uh we're hosting them on twitch which has been fun uh martin uh who runs these meetings he is the he's the mc and he does his presentation at the beginning to talk a little bit about the organization and you know talk about things that people have sent to him to to pitch to the group to sort of plug their things and then um for this first online meeting i did the main presentation which was a an hour-long post-mortem on the development of Widget Satchel, um, which uh, both of you uh, here in our distributed clubhouse feature prominently in. Uh, if you missed it, you can see it now, which is something that we've always wanted to do for these meetings is to stream them or record them. But uh, that has been a sort of a technical challenge with the situation we have. But now that we're forced to do them online, they're just <laughs> archived now. So um, it's actually kind of an exciting change for the organization. And once we're all able to go out back into the world, We've uh, amongst the board members, we've talked about trying to make this a permanent thing so we can bring in more people so that we have these presentations that our members uh, and guests spend a lot of time on Those We want to be able to present uh, those to uh, uh, audiences in the future. And so uh, the first of these um, is a presentation uh, by Dev, friend of the show, who did a presentation on uh, doing DLC for Newt One. And then my presentation, uh, Postmortem on Widget Satchel. Those are both on the Twitch channel for the IDGA TC, and we'll put that link in the show notes where you can uh, check that out. Yeah. Cool, cool. Uh, what else do we have to talk about today, Stephen? Nothing. That's, <laughs> that was the whole thing. <laughs> That's our show. Yeah. <laughs> I've got a topic today. Um, I wanted to talk about economies. Because we've been playing um, Star Trek Online recently, and um, it is actually ridiculous how many <laughs> dang currencies this game has. And because it's Star list. Trek, it's doubly ridiculous. Oh yeah, yeah, it, that's actually that's true. Because Star Trek does not use currencies, right? Like the the world of Star Trek. Yep, yep. It's anyway. a post scarcity economy where people's worth is valued on reputation, and you 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 go into a job interview hoping for the job so you can do the work, not so you can yeah. get a paycheck. 
and yeah, and right. because there's very few menial and this is all fantasy really it's like the this is a future that is essentially unrealizable but it's a aspirational notion of star trek and it's core to its idea that in the future we could do what we want for our own uh, in self-improvement and for the benefit of others and that will be our economic motivation um mm. and that's just simmers in the background but of course it's an mmo so you need eight types of currency you need a trading <laughs> market you need yeah <laughs> it's insane yeah i actually have a list of currencies here there are like over 10 different kinds of reputation marks i don't know what the heck that even means there's like three different types of secondary currencies like premium currencies there's arc points and lobby lobby crystals and zen coins it's it's i don't know. <laughs> oh man Th- those are the ones you can buy with real money right those are the ones yeah the secondary ones are the ones you can buy with real money it's yeah. uh quite ridiculous <laughs> <laughs> and then there's dilithium crystals yeah, and gold press latinum, and these are these yes. are mapped to things that are in Star Trek, but they have obviously a mm-hmm. mechanical purpose here. And then there's something else, like the blue one, that's like the main currency gameplay currency. The main was- currency is an energy credit. Okay, so that's just yeah. gobbledygook. Like, <laughs> yeah, yeah, well, it's energy credit. You can replicate this many units of energy. Oh, yeah, I, I think that's okay. the logic for it. I assume, well, and I think that's actually in universe as well. Like everyone had an energy like an allotment of energy you could use however you want. If you want to use it on like making Cheez-Its, you can. <laughs> um, if you want to make it on having a much more comfortable uniform to wear on your ship, you can. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, there's this idea in um, in Star Trek when people try to like really dig down and figure out how it could possibly work. They're like, well, mm. if, if it's post-scarcity and you could just have anything you want whenever you want, why doesn't everybody have everything? And there would be a limit. Like energy is not infinite right right and so mm-hmm. there's and episodes will sometimes hint at things like i think there's an episode where cisco talks about using all of his transporter credits to go home to his father's restaurant like across the country huh. every night like yeah. and it's like oh okay that makes sense because if everyone could just use the transporter anywhere anytime they wanted it would be utter chaos yeah so are those rules are those social rules or are they about energy conservation and like star trek is a is a sci-fi fantasy show it's like not going to get into the weeds on that but of yeah. course, as an MMO, it, you need rules, and it's it's interesting yep. they found like a way to kind of uh, cheat their way to to having some sort of uh, a, a connection. I don't know. Yeah, yeah, that's really interesting though. You said like because in an MMO, you need to express everything in mechanics and in, in code and yeah. in behavior. The weeds become important. <laughs> right, right. Yeah. And you can't do something where it's like everything go out there and do good for for society. No MMO player is interested in that as a as gameplay. <laughs> <laughs> And I don't mean I don't mean that cynically. That does not sound like a fun game, you know. Right? Yeah, yeah, totally. <laughs> well, it just well, if if that's the message of your game, then what you're essentially telling people to do is to quit the game and go out and volunteer somewhere. Yeah, uh-huh. and and that's not that's not the business we're in. <laughs> right. <Yeah. laughs> well, um, playing Star Trek Online got me thinking about like different currencies and stuff, well, and specifically in like games that we've made and how you can use like an economy to uh, design to help design your game to help lead players in a direction Mm -hmm. it's kind of a weird it's a different kind of mindset than normally i think because it's like i mean it's all based around money or like your game's idea of money and so like it's a it's not it's not as simple as this thing doesn't deal enough damage so buff the numbers or whatever it's like it's a little more complicated than that. And I guess it gets into like literally actual economics, mm-hmm. um, which is kind of neat. I did not 
traditionally study economics, I learned this stuff on my own. And I don't know all of the specific details, but like I've done this kind of work for uh, my job and I've done that for Widget Satchel and some other games. So talk about that a little bit. Yeah. Yeah. Um, the, I think the main thing I wanted to tell people is that like having a ton of currencies is really daunting for players, but like it can be very valuable for to organize your content. I know that like MMOs, like specifically Star Trek has like a bunch of different currencies for particular kinds of um, content that you can access with them. And I think that like it gets really confusing when like you can use different currencies to purchase the same kind of content. And Star Trek does the Star Trek online does this a lot. Like I was looking at all the different ships I could purchase at um, purchase at the ship store or whatever it is. <laughs> it's called the shipyard, Sh- Stephen. Ship Mart. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. And um, I saw like the first two ones you could purchase with the what's it dilithium? Is that the name of it? I'm not. Yeah. Yeah. Okay. <laughs> you got it. Uh, yeah, you can purchase, like, you can purchase these ships with their lithium. Um, and, but, like, some other ships you could purchase with their premium cash, which, I mean, I guess kind of makes sense because uh, they, they want you to, you know, spend money on the game to get these fancy-looking ships. But it's just kind of confusing because, like, I have, I, I'm coming here to get this new ship, and I'm like, oh, I'll use dilithium to get the ship, but there's this other currency I can use that is not dilithium based why can't i just purchase that why can't you just make that be dilithium and there is an exchange rate between mm-hmm. dilithium which you can earn in the game mm-hmm. and then the premium currencies but it's not a straight exchange yeah right it's like it's on some kind of like marketplace right where where you trade with other players i don't actually quite understand it we i just got a peek at it yesterday and it was very it was very I didn't, confusing. I didn't i didn't look at the the marketplace thing but yeah there are like the economy also falls into place with like a market and i yeah, yeah. star trek online has a market other MLs have a market and that's kind of required in a sense for it all to hang together even though it's ridiculous yeah. <laughs> <laughs> it i mean it's a lot right because like i don't know most people when they play an mmo they're not interested in the the math of everything yeah but I guess if you want to be successful for your uh, your crew or whatever, it, it's so, it's valuable to have that information, have that understanding of mm-hmm. things. Um, and like I, I have not, I'm not really interested in doing a deep dive on the economy of Star Trek Online. Uh, it, I bet it would be valuable for our our team of Star Trekkers. Uh huh. That's what they're called. <laughs> Okay. Good. Um, <laughs> um, to uh, like, you know, it would be valuable for us to have all that information because, like, it would probably give us a leg up on something. Yeah. Like the game has, just has a lot of content on it already. Mm-hmm. It's funny. We all sort of came around to getting really into the space combat. Mm-hmm. Then when we finish a mission, we'd all hang out uh, in like just some empty area of space and then fiddle with all of our configurations independently. Yeah. Like chatting. And like, yeah. so like, oh, did you get that disruptor or you did get that energy thing or whatever? Uh-huh. And mm-hmm. as I was doing that thinking like, there's so many stats and like, I found some like moment to moment enjoyment. And then suddenly I realized like, in order to keep this up, I really have to engage with these numbers. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Not just like the loot that you get, but also the idea of like, I need to know what I'm missing, what it costs and what my purchasing power is so that I don't get frustrated when I'm like missing things that I could have just gotten by refining right. my dilithium and going to the market and exchanging it for Zen and then bringing it, you know what I mean? And, yeah. mm-hmm. and that is not exciting, but like, I don't know. It's just not exciting. I have no, I have, I have no upside. <laughs> yeah. There's no silver I mean, lining to fair. it. <laughs> there, there are, I don't think many episodes of Star Trek in any series where they spend <laughs> the entire thing, just looking at the market exchange. <laughs> yeah. So it's weird that like, you want to, you want to spend it flying your ship and you want your ship to be optimized and that's fun. Yeah. yeah. But like, I don't particularly find playing marketplaces enjoyable either. Yeah. yeah. And I, I don't love loot, but like, I'm okay with loot because then uh-huh. you can kind of like slowly 
get a bunch of random things that get that drop from your play, and then you yeah. can use those things to optimize your loadout. I, I can engage with that. That's okay because there's at least a progression, and like it's fun to like every now and again go like, oh, I got a new thing. But then having mm-hmm. to then go, you know, save your pennies or whatever. Or like think like, oh, should I buy this or that? Oh, am I going to make the right choice? I'm like, I get enough mm-hmm. of that in real life. That's <laughs> <laughs> yeah, true. Yeah. It's interesting though, because like the, the, the way that the loot system works in all of these games, generally speaking, they funnel into the currency. Like, like you can use the, the crap that you don't want. <laughs> you can sell all of that and yeah. then you can earn more currency so that you can purchase more of the stuff that you do want. Right, right. And that should ultimately balance so that you never feel like, oh, I'm, I wasn't lucky. I didn't get the things that I want, but I got a bunch of crap that I can sell for the thing that I want. Right. That's that's the purpose yeah. of that. Right. Yeah, it should basically. Yeah. But mm-hmm. like, it, you know, it costs more of the junk that you don't want to get the thing that you do want. Yeah. It's like a weird teacher totter balance thing that is it's kind of hard to hit. It's not super clear in the way that like Star Trek Online is designed with its economy, but a lot of other games that I've played, um, they have economies split up in a way so that like um, when you're at this level of the game, you won't get any of the like more fancy or complicated things because mm-hmm. like you don't have the currency you can use to purchase it. Once you yeah, you know, once you progress further in the game, then you get access to more currencies, and that allows you to get access to more content. Mm-hmm. And so that's that's kind of why I was thinking like it, to me, it might make more sense. In Star Trek Online, and I'm not the designer. I'm not going to pretend like I understand how all the economy works. But as a player, I, I would understand the systems better if, like, this currency only worked with these certain types of things. Yeah. Like, dilithium is only useful to purchase ships or something. Yeah. Then, like, I'm like, oh, if I really want a new ship, I should grind all of my currency into dilithium and then purchase this new ship because I really want one. Isn't that like you can't keep it all in your head? Isn't that yeah. by design? Yeah, I think it is, but I think it might be by design. Our natural, our natural tendency to want to master a system. Yeah, it means that it then loses its its novelty and interest. So it almost seems like it's it it has to be inscrutable, otherwise it's not engaging. Well, also arguably because it is so inscrutable, people don't want to deal with all of the math and they'll just spend money on the game to get what they want. I mean, cynically, maybe. Okay, th- that's not a charitable. <laughs> I- I'm trying to be as charitable as possible. But sure, that's you're, <laughs> but you're not wrong. You know. Yeah. yeah. Like, but I think I think you're right. Like, it, it, having it be a complicated economy allows people to engage with it more because there's more to it, right? Yeah, and you can't you can't mm-hmm. um, you can't game it as easily, which actually kind yeah. of then levels the playing field between players and between mm-hmm. the. PVE nature of an economy like this, where I mean, in an economy, in an actual economy, w- yeah. your 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 labor generates income, right? In a standard right. like you know a labor economy, but yeah. in a game in a game like this, your labor, your play, will give you loot and items. So it kind of works the same way, except mm-hmm. those things are just generated, right? They don't. Yes. There's no larger economy that needs to provide that to you. And so game economies have a lot of the same rules as a regular economy, except for the fact that it's like all quantitative easing all the time. And like <laughs> all, all money is invented. Like it doesn't really yeah. change hands. Exactly. Yeah. But, but then the player then gives the money back to the system that then destroys it. Yes. Mm-hmm. I find it fascinating how similar it is in certain ways, but then like certain, certain moving parts are just replaced with analogs mm-hmm. in a way. And then of course they want you to move up like, in a game like this, a sustainable income uh, where you just can afford your groceries every week is not something an MMO wants to do, you right. know? <laughs> yeah. So they need to find a way to make everybody richer over time, which then is something that an actual, an actual real economy 
is it, it leads to inflation. So yeah. Well, the way that the way that it works in in MMOs and other games like this is like you just the creatures you defeat at level 100 are worth a lot more than the creatures you defeat at level one. Right? Yeah. That's how the economy kind of balloons is people who have played the game longer are able to earn more currency because they have access to more expensive things to sell or just or beat. Right. And it doesn't earn. break because players aren't doing a lot of commerce between each other. But in some MMOs, you, you, there is that, right? Yeah. There's and, auctions well, and, that, and stuff like the that. Way that those, I think the way that those work is they have a lot of rare drops or they have a lot of um, drops that aren't necessarily rare, but have like particularly rare stats mm-hmm. or different kinds of stats that like you might want as a player. So like, let's say you can like a sword might drop and it's got plus one dexterity. Um, and then another sword might drop. And it's got plus three power. Um, you might be able to sell that. And the plus three power is the plus three power is less valuable. Cause that is a stat that gets dropped a lot more frequently. Yeah. Uh, but the plus one dexterity is much more rare. So that ends up selling for more in this fictional marketplace. That right. Right. Yeah. Like Diablo three has a marketplace like that. I think where like you can sell, you can sell items that you don't want, but other people might want. And like the way that loot works in that game is your, uh, the weapons you get are locked based on the class you are. Mm-hmm. So if you get something that if you're a witch hunter, or I don't know what kind of class that. If you're a witch hunter <laughs> and um, you get something that only a soldier can use, then like you can sell that to a soldier and make more money. Yeah. Than if you were to just sell it to the store. That seems kind of appealing to me because it also then it very easily categorizes the things I don't need and don't want and can sell. Yeah. Whereas yeah. a lot of times in in loot systems of all types, and I think many players will sympathize with this, you end up having seven copies of something because you never know. Like right. <laughs> But if you really just sat down and got out a spreadsheet, you could very quickly know it's just like that's not fun gameplay. And also in in an MMO anyway, like you just you're staring at a ton of ugly modal dialogue boxes and numbers and and ugly fonts. And like and you just like it's like your brain hurts trying to like, wait, is this one better than that one? The exchange rate, it sells for 20 more uh, doodads, but it has a plus it has less pluses in this category. I'm just like, I'll figure, I'll deal with this later. Yeah. <laughs> and then, oh, so my loot sorting is always that I'll deal with this later. Um, mm-hmm. Yeah. Which is why sometimes it's good to have an encumbrance limit because yeah. then it forces you to make those decisions. That's mm-hmm. true. But then none of, none of that is fun gameplay. Inventory management. is probably fun for some people. Yeah. Not fun for me. I will say one, one game that I think does a really good job of inventory management. It's just such a complicated system that it takes a while to get used to it and figure it out is Warframe. Yeah. Um, oh, okay. They have tons of quality of life stuff in their interface. I'm not sure if it started this way. I'm assuming it didn't. That let you sort what you have um, in many different ways to find what you need. The thing is, is like you have to play for a while before you understand how it works and before you really understand what you need. <laughs> yeah. And then every single time you choose a new frame, your what you need is different, and it's it's super complicated. Mm-hmm. But it, I think that the the tools they give players have are pretty good. Once you understand what you're looking for. I know that Warframe is another famous MMO that has a lot of loot and stuff. Yeah. Um, and that's a, that's a free to play game that has, yeah. is really well regarded by its players. Yeah. Right? Which is, which is kind of a rarity. Yeah. Well, they've been, I think pretty consistent in, in how they implement their vision for the paid elements yeah. and making sure that the paid elements are purely cosmetic. 
Um, the thing is that it's a very cosmetic game. Like one of the big drivers is making your Warframe look freaking cool. Mm -hmm. (laughs) And and that is a lot easier to do when you're paying a little bit of money, but this lets you go faster, not necessarily. Yeah. Um, Yeah. That's where it gets really tricky when you start, uh, the, those exchanges between gameplay currency and real world currency, like, you know, uh, mobile games are, are notorious for this. And it seems like it's definitely a line that's crossed and then it kind of can't be uncr- uncrossed. Yeah. yeah. And it's, you kind of lose me in that sense. Like in, in Star Trek online that has that. And I'm looking at these things that cost like 550 of these Zen credits. And I'm like, Oh, I can exchange some of my in-game currency for those to buy this like cool Bajoran uniform. I super want, but it's like, I have to kind of like, Nope, I am not engaging with this at all because I disagree mm-hmm. with it ideologically. Mm-hmm. I mean, it's not hurting anybody for me. I'm, I'm already playing the game, right? It's like, it's, I'm not really taking a stand. It's just, it yeah. feels so icky. Well, I, I have a little bit of experience designing a system with premium currencies. Let's hear about I've it. Been working on, I've been working on this game. Uh, I've actually complained about this on the show before. I'm not <laughs> super enthusiastic about working on it, but there's this horse racing game we've been working on, and it's a mobile game. But one thing that like I found to be kind of interesting to work on was the um the economy of the whole thing. So there we have two currencies and actually we might have three now. <laughs> you don't even know. I mean <laughs> that's how complicated these things can get. <laughs> it's technically two. Um there's there's this so the game is called Derby Downs. The the main currency you earn while you're like it's a horse racing game, so you just like bet on horses or you race a horse and you win this currency called Derby Bucks. You can use that to purchase and upgrade some of your items that you can uh, that you can get that improves the quality of your horse and stuff and how well they do in a race. Um, there's this all there's an additional currency that I can't remember the name of the currency, but it's like coins. Mm-hmm. They're like a play coins or something, and you can use that to get a lot more Derby Bucks or uh, get some of the premium items that you can't purchase otherwise. You have to use premium items to to get these to these things. I, I went through the whole game and I tried to like balance the items that you couldn't buy with premium content and the items you could buy with premium content such that if you were to play the game for a long period of time and not purchase any content, you could keep up with some of the people who maybe had bought um, the premium content up to a point. Yeah. Like I think like the, the premium items scale less than the, they just have a, a higher starting base. Like say, uh, I think the saddles give you speed boosts, like or give make your horse faster. Mm-hmm. Which I don't know. That's logical, right? <laughs> or saddles horses. Speed, I'm not. Yeah. I'm not a horse scientist. I couldn't tell you. <laughs> um, it's logical enough. <laughs> yeah, I'd, I'd say so. When, anyways, uh, like the, the first saddle you get, it's not a great saddle, but you can purchase like one additional saddle with regular derby bucks um, to you know improve that saddle. And then every time you race with that saddle, it levels up and it can get better mm-hmm. um, and get better stats. They'll, those regular saddles, they scale better uh, up to their highest level um, versus the premium saddles, but the premium saddles start at a higher base. It's like you don't have to do as much grinding to get to the the higher uh, to get to the speeds that everybody else did. Yeah. So like if you play the game a lot, you can keep up with somebody who has premium saddles. Um, and if you're good at like playing the game, you can keep up with somebody who has premium saddles, but only up to a certain point. Mm-hmm. So like you can use your skill, like I guess to carry yourself a little bit further. Right. Right. Is, is what the, the goal I was hoping for. And so it was kind of interesting to like balance all of those prices and stuff with this, with this, with this premium currency. 
And I also like tried to balance it so that like the way you earn levels and such, basically you would get something flashy happening on your screen every time you uh, completed a race, whether you won it or lost it or anything like uh-huh. like your saddles would level up or like you'd earn a new horse and stuff like that. Mm-hmm. Uh, it was kind of interesting to like there was like an excitement curve I was trying to design yeah, yeah, yeah. With, with these currency and stuff. So it's interesting because you you have to design for multiple audiences. Yes. And you and you have to design for audiences that are uh, not just at odds in the forums yelling at each other, but right. actually like <laughs> their goals are at odds a little bit, right? Mm-hmm. Because so, like the the player who's like I'm not going to spend a dime on this, but I I I like this game. They're going for that core gameplay loop or there's yeah. there's some satisfaction in grinding, right? Yeah. Like uh, th- that's kind of and then there's the people who are like I, don't know, I got five bucks, whatever. I'll, 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 yeah. I'll buy my way to something. No problem. And, yeah. um, those people are looking for to collect the thing. They want the thing, mm-hmm. right? They don't necessarily want to engage. They don't want the satisfaction of the loop as much. It's not all one or all the other. Yeah. So how do you find that, that balance? How do you find yourself like designing towards one? Cause it comes at the cost of the other, right? Yeah. Well, I mean, effectively I did design it towards the game is supposed to make money. So yeah. you're trying to get people to buy the, the saddles, the fancier saddles. Mm-hmm. So like I designed it such that if you were, uh, if you enjoy the core gameplay and you played it a lot, you would still keep getting rewarded for playing it a lot, but only up to a certain point. And I'm hoping that players who are, uh, you know, are playing the game a bunch versus somebody who just purchased the premium stuff, the players who do not purchase premium stuff recognize that like they're not going to scale as much. Mm-hmm. And so like if they want to get better, then they'll opt into purchasing the higher the right. premium. You don't you don't want them like scratching at the the wall forever. Yeah. You want them to realize I'm either done with this game or I'll I'll put down a couple bucks yeah. on it. Right. Yeah. Exactly. Okay. Mm-hmm. Yeah, that makes sense. And I've you know, hearing it described that way, I mean, I can think about so many games, mostly mobile games, where I've hit that curve and then decided one way or the other. Like, okay, yep, I've been playing this game so much, I'm going to, you know, spend some money so I can play it longer. Yeah. Or I can, usually so I can play it longer, because I think that I don't really gravitate towards games where I have to play in order to play better. But sure. if I'm paying to unlock more content, then I'm a little bit more willing to uh, just shell out the dough. Yeah. Um, but like so like tiny guardians i think i bought every extra warrior summon that you possibly could and most of them were i mean they weren't all cosmetic like each each of them had i think some of them had different mechanics that were really fun to play with Mm -hmm. but then like tiny death star didn't go for that one yeah so interesting Mm -hmm. yeah kind of what you're describing can also be the sort of um the the demo full price uh, divide right like Mm. uh, you know you can you get the free demo it's got the first eight levels and then you got to pay to get the last 30 levels or something. Mm. The problem mm. is, is that that's not economically as viable as a free-to-play right. game where once you crash, cross that boundary of dropping a dollar or two, and maybe it's just a dollar or two, but maybe it's $30 or $40 or $50. And then it becomes... And so that is really tricky because like you're designing the game to make sure that the players know there's no such thing as a free lunch, right? Like I think it's a perfectly, mm-hmm. that's a perfectly logical thing to, you know, like here's a free taste or whatever. But then I think the problem where it becomes sort of like ethically dubious, and maybe this is part of what frustrates you working on it, uh, is that ultimately the goal is to extract as much money as possible from every player, yeah. Hmm. right? Yeah. I mean, yes, that's, that is the goal. Were I to be completely honest, there was a little part of me that was like, ooh, I'm, I'm stealing so <laughs> much money from these players. 
It was a little part of me that was kind of excited. It will not be. <laughs> From your perspective, it's a design challenge. Mm-hmm. Oh, yeah. In a vacuum, it's a really fascinating, interesting one. Uh, in, in, a, in a moral vacuum. Right. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah. And the game's not out, so no one has lost money on it yet, so I don't feel bad yet. <laughs> right, right. The, the guilt will come later. Yeah. So, so this, this is going to, I'm going to ask a question that might get us a little bit off track, but it is kind of, right, it is kind of a design challenge to, to, to set up incentives and dynamics in a way that get people excited to spend real money that they earned with mm-hmm. their real time, I guess, with their time that they have limited amounts of yeah. on the game. But is that ever the explicit goal? I mean, I'm sure it is the explicit goal of a game creator. Um, please extract all the money we possibly can. I'm wondering if, if it's not like, what are other ways of articulating that goal in terms of like how much money you want to make and how does articulating that vision for how financially like lucrative you want games, a game to be yeah. affect where you find that balance point between just letting people play and then making sure that they are compensating you for the effort and time that it took to make it. Mm-hmm. Uh, yeah. <laughs> well, it's, I think that you're describing a, a scenario where I'm going to make a free to play game because I need to, I need to get users. Right. And that is one of the reasons why free to play games work is because it's hard to convince someone to spend a dollar, much less $20, much less $60 on something unless you pour a ton of money into marketing. Yeah. Okay. But what if we uh, make it free so that our marketing efforts uh, have a lower barrier of entry? Someone just has to try mm-hmm. it. And then now they're a user. Okay, great. Uh, now I'm spending money on their enjoyment because of whatever bandwidth they're using to, to download and, and work the game. However, whatever it costs us to run it and, and employ people to keep working on it. Yeah. Mm-hmm. If everyone's just playing for, okay, so now I need to, to justify that cost. I need to, extract money from there so this is all outside the 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 development of the of the game itself so the the dream scenario is okay now that i've done that i want to extract 60 dollars from every player because this is a 60 dollar game so i'm going to design systems which Hmm. essentially encourage players to spend a dollar a time four dollars at a time whatever at a time until they get to 60 and then my my social contract with this player has been fulfilled and they can then now own the game and play as much as they want. I think the problem with that is that is it is a fantasy, mm-hmm. right? Yeah. Like I, I would, I would be very interested in a game like that. And if a game presented itself that way, I would be much more comfortable spending three or five dollars on it because I understand the motivation is not to get me to spend an infinite amount of money. It's to, it's to work my way up to a full price cost or something. Sure. But mm-hmm. then I think Ellen, what you were asking is like, where does that where's that line drawn? Mm-hmm. Especially if it's an ongoing game. Yeah, what you're describing, Mark, I think is this, this is largely the difference between renting and owning a thing, right? Yeah. Like if you're like, if you could spend a little bit of microtransactions or whatever in order to get to sixty and then own the game and get access to everything. Yeah. Then um, that's different from like you know somebody who's just wants you to keep spending money. Yeah. Right. I think realistically, there, there's going to be a point where like new users starts tapering off, mm-hmm. and that business model that you that you both are kind of proposing won't really work anymore. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Like, there's not enough new users to sustain the six the sixty dollar cost of this content that you're making, mm-hmm. right? Or giving them. 
Um, and so like having other avenues for it is necessary in order to keep mm-hmm. the servers running in order to keep you making new content so that players can keep yeah. playing it. Yeah. Well, this is why like yeah. multiplayer servers for $60 games only last two or three years. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Right. In, unless there's a, they take off like a rocket, you know, mm-hmm. um, and then they have maybe other sources of, of revenue through sponsorships or whatever, but like a, a popular shooter or like, I'm thinking of like uncharted's multiplayer. Yeah, which was like interesting, but like it it cost money to maintain, mm-hmm. and right. and it it made sense to maintain it as long as its existence encouraged people to buy new copies, mm-hmm. and then at at a certain point the game's too old and it has a diehard audience, but whatever now it's not making any money. Uh, Free to play games generally don't are not designed to be sunsetted that way. Yeah, they're designed to last for a long period of time. Yeah, as long as they're profitable, right? Right. right, right, and come up with a steady stream, a more steady stream of income for the business, which makes sense from a business perspective, right? Yeah. You want to be able to get something that you can look at the numbers for and say, "All right, we can, we can, based on our good data, we can reasonably extrapolate how much money we're going to take in from this game for the next twelve months." I mean, that's good for for a business. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. And I, I think of that that uh, that leasing scenario that the way you described it, Stephen, the rent to mm-hmm. own. Like eventually you'll pay it off. I think a lot of people who are, who try a game and know that there's a maximum they can spend. I think a lot of people who would never spend a dime on a game would be willing to spend a couple bucks on a game if they knew that was in place. But yeah. because this is a fantasy scenario that we know no one is ever going to do, right. what that tells <laughs> me is that that's not worth it to, to the, the business interests and that it's much more worth it to have a, a much smaller amount of people who are unbridled in how much they're willing to spend versus mm-hmm. a wider base of people who will spend a little bit or up to $60. And, and that's, where I, that's, where, that's where I start to like kind of put my foot down and saying that the entire business model is unethical. Do you know what I mean? Like where I, I can't get past that notion of like, it is more motivating if I know that it's untapped I'm certain more people would be willing to spend a little bit, but because that's not how it works, it must be that it is so heavily dependent on whales. And I, I just have a huge problem with that. Sure. I guess I can only speak from my own experience, but like after playing, if I play a free to play game for a long enough period of time, I'll start feeling okay and justified in spending a little bit of money. Yeah. I think a lot of people are mm-hmm. like that. Yeah. 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 So like, so I think there are, I mean, I'm not I'm not here to speak of the ethics of having, you know, trying to get as many um, whales. No, in, and in you, you're possible, you're but. you're you're burdened with with having to work on a project like that. Um, yeah. But so are a lot of de- designers and developers. This is not. Yeah. You know, it's uh, you, it's not so, like I, I can damn the practice, but like, <laughs> you know, you, you're yeah. drawing you're not you're not making any money off of off of this. You're drawing a salary. Right. So <laughs> it's not for me. Yeah. Yeah. Um, but like, I, I think that like. I think from from a player perspective, the way I approach it is, yeah, I spent a bunch of time on this game. I can I can spend I can throw like five bucks, ten bucks this developer's way because like I, I spent I got a good amount of content out of this thing. Yeah, yeah, for sure. If you knew that the limit was sixty dollars, mm-hmm. do you think you would reach that point earlier? No, I don't think so. You don't think so? To be honest. I think I think um, that that's that's my supposition. So if that's sure. not right, then that that's kind of the that's the core of my argument. So if I'm wrong about that, then it follows that my conclusion is not as sound. I think. Well, I think I think it. Like if I knew I could just spend sixty bucks to just own the game and not have to deal with premium stuff, I would just spend the sixty bucks. To be honest. Yeah. Um. But like in, in the case where like I could 
I guess like put the game on layaway and like just spend <laughs> spend a little bit here and there in order to get to the part where I don't have to spend any more money. I don't know that I personally would be as interested in that kind of a system, largely because like if I pay sixty bucks, but like the developers are still creating content for me and still adding more things for me to play, and I'm still getting um, as much enjoyment and like content as I was before. Yeah. Like if I played the game for ten years and I only paid sixty bucks for it. I don't know. I think at, at, the, at that certain point, it would feel like, well, they've given me a lot more than 60 bucks worth of content. Mm-hmm, I can mm-hmm. throw some more money. Yeah, in. yeah, yeah. Oh, yeah, uh, for sure. I mean, uh, th- this is, I mean, I guess this is a, a, a ancillary part of it, but sure. I, I think that's certainly why a lot of people are not up in arms about free-to-play games because they get so much value out of them. But yeah. somebody has to pay for that. Yeah, you know, right? you're right. And that's the part where it's like, there's somebody, some someone being duped into paying for my experience because I'm not doing it. And that, mm-hmm. that makes my skin crawl a little bit. I guess, yeah, my supposition is that, you know, it, it basically a subscription model solves some of that. But again, then you have onboarding as a problem. Um, right. I, I just feel like if I, if I knew my maximum was $60, I'd be much more willing to spend $5. Um, whereas oh, okay. it, in a game where I really want that Bajoran uniform in Star Trek Online, <laughs> and it costs probably less than a dollar in, in real world money yeah. but i'm not going to i'm not going to do that like even though right. I, I i it's not that i feel like i once i start i won't be able to stop i have no concern yeah. about that right. it's, it's just it's just supporting that model i think but mm. if, if i knew that the maximum was 60 dollars and i could chip away at it 50 cents at a time i'd be dropping dollars all the time until i hit that 60 i mean if mm. maybe if the maximum was a, was 100 or whatever it depends on the game i suppose right but again that's my supposition I, I don't, you know, I, I haven't done any studies. <laughs> yeah. 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 I don't know. Mm-hmm. Uh, I mean, I'm curious, actually, if yeah. um, listeners feel that way. Like, yeah, if, I would if, like if, to hear other people's uh, response to that. Like, how would they approach that? And how do they play free to play games? Right. Are, are they someone who spent a thousand dollars on a game and got 10 years of enjoyment on it? And like, that is totally worth it to them because that does mm-hmm. sound kind of like not a lot of money for as much effort, you know? Yeah. And how do people how do people approach it? Or is it uh, like a lot of people where I didn't pay a dime and I got an infinite amount of enjoyment. And so I came out way ahead, which is, I think, most yeah. players, right? It's interesting, too. I, we didn't really delve into this, I think, explicitly, but I would be really interesting, interested to hear what listeners have experienced, you know, in comparing games they've played where there is no direct interaction between the in-game economy and the real life economy. Like, yeah, I think at least when I was playing World of Warcraft, there was a marketplace and it was interesting to look at the economies of that in-game marketplace. But in terms of like the real world money that you put into the game, it was a subscription. Yeah. Um, but now there are many, many games where you have an in-game economy that is just internal to the game. But then there's also part of that in-game economy that does intersect with the, with real world money. Yeah. And yeah. it'd be interesting to like have a, a conversation with listeners where we could put some of those games side by side and compare our experiences you know it's funny because you there is and steven really illustrated it earlier in this this topic like there's a ton of interesting game design to be mined from this stuff right and uh, an example of a game that ellen that you're describing is uh, animal crossing which has a rich in-game economy and it's Mm -hmm. and you but you can't spend a real red cent on it right and and people are feeling like liberated by that. Like they can then enjoy it for what it's worth and, and feel like it's just, it's just gameplay. I have heard the opposite opinion in that a lot of people feel like it is a grind or it feels like they're um, 
becoming more exploitative in order to get the items that they do want. Okay. It's in Animal Crossing. So, I mean, I don't know if it's as widespread. Yeah. <laughs> What's that? Is it just because people hate grinds or? I mean, maybe. But like, <laughs> <laughs> but I, I, I've heard that like people feel like the way that some of the mechanisms work in that game um, makes it more, um, they feel like they're being more exploitative of uh, some people. I guess just yeah. because, like, because of how some of the mechanics work in the game. I, I like, I, I don't. I'll see if I can find like an article. Yeah, I, you're, you're, you're hinting at something, but I think we're not, we're not getting exactly. I'm yet. not quite there. To, yeah, because, because yeah. <laughs> we'll like, because, like, what, what, is, how do you exploit a player? Like, you steal their money or you steal their time, or you steal their hopes and dreams? I guess. <laughs> <laughs> That's They're the sold. Yeah. <laughs> you got a little bit off. off track of the original thought i had but like this this discussion is very interesting yeah yeah, yeah. well i mean it it, it devolves into uh, partly because this is the project you're working on so it's something you're thinking about a lot yeah free-to-play mechanics and how those interact but just economies and games like you described widget satchel I, I didn't think of it this way but when you said it of course it makes sense we have a mm-hmm. widget economy yeah <laughs> and, it's, and it's, <laughs> it's relatively simple but it you needed to design it to be very precise yeah right yeah, and it was really difficult, honestly, because uh, we wanted people to only have a certain number of widgets so they could purchase the items that they had access to. So I had to start like we were very liberal with how many widgets we put in the levels because like we didn't know how big every all the levels were going to end up being. Yeah. The, once we locked down what all of the content was going to end up being, I had to start drastically reducing the amount of widgets that were in each level, and it, it was like, very painful. I needed to make sure that it was still. I need. I needed to make sure it was still fun to collect things and so you could still find a lot of widgets where you went and did stuff like it felt rewarding to go explore and stuff Mm -hmm. while still um adhering to the limits that we set for ourselves yeah 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 and it was real hard (laughs) yeah we we had um uh, we've had we had some players uh complain about how like oh suddenly widgets are impossible to get uh toward the end and that really really frustrated them the point is it was supposed to frustrate them yeah it, so like yeah. e- even though I, I I'm sure if we had a hundred years we could have made the the player experience of that but we wanted widgets to feel cheap and plentiful at the beginning and right. then to be more valuable as it went on and yeah. I think we were very successful in that the problem is is that not everyone liked that <laughs> yeah right we could have been we might have been a little too successful I don't know <laughs> perhaps, <laughs> perhaps. well there's like the the ramp and the curve like you know we didn't have you know we spent all of two years on the game yeah, essentially yeah. one year and change in terms of the actual design and construction of it so like, mm-hmm. I, I don't have any problem with whatever failings that part had but it is yeah. interesting that uh, we did get one review where the person was saying like was describing figuring that out and mm-hmm. it was actually really rewarding to see them say like oh at a certain point widgets became like super super rare and they valued so much to me and I regretted being so cavalier with them earlier next time I'll know better and it's like that's exactly what we wanted people to learn yeah and yeah. it was really cool to see that like and then I, I think a lot about like especially other metroidvanias where I like bounce off of them and I'm like how mm-hmm. would anybody like this game and I'm like oh it's because you have to frustrate a player because then the reward of solving it or of, of fig- mm-hmm. or mastering it is so good and finding that balance of something that is doesn't feel like a chore or doesn't feel like a cheat, but also lets you be rewarded for like learning more and figuring it out. Right. And so it, it, it's difficult when all you see are the, are the people's first impressions. All I know is like making economies. It's very, it's complicated, <laughs> but it's, it is rewarding. Honestly, yeah. 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 Like do, do all the balance mm-hmm. and stuff for things. I mean, you're, you're probably very surprised that this is a, a big part of multiple projects you've worked on now. It is surprising. Yes. Yeah. 
there's like a little bit of economy in Vengeance, but it's not as important right now. Right, so. right. You get stuff and then you buy stuff. It's it's pretty. Yeah, it's it's, it's kind crazy. of all it's all rewarding. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> yep. Yeah. And that's the game. That's the yeah. Case. But the way you describe it is like you're sort of pleasantly surprised how interesting this is. Yeah. It's yeah. Cool. That's what's. Yeah, it's nice. It's, mm-hmm. it's yeah. I I encourage listeners to look into the economies of games that they've enjoyed and see what things yeah. you can mine from that information. And recognize when you're working on a game that starts to edge in this direction, recognize that's what you're making so that you can actually mm-hmm. understand it better. Because I think it's, yeah. pr- it'd be, it's pretty easy to sort of like put these systems in by accident and then they become totally unbalanced, right? Yeah. Oh, yeah. All right, folks. In these troubling times, we ask very little of you. But we ask one thing. Right now, we ask one thing. There's a list, but I'll get to it. Okay. The one thing. We'll ask one thing at a time. One thing. One thing at a that's time. That's right. We ask one thing at a time. That's our promise. If you enjoy uh, this program, uh, please uh, tell a friend about it. Uh, talk to someone on Twitter. Share your thoughts on Reddit. Um, send some. Send a snail mail to an uncle. Um, you know, someone who you think might uh, uh, um, benefit from the insights, experiences, and discussions that we have on this show, let them know that we exist, because that is the way podcasts grow. Um, Word of mouth. And so, uh, you know, of course, we would love to have more listeners so that we can get more feedback, so that the show can get better, and so that we can, you know, have more resources to provide more, you know, more and better content and get uh, greater access so that we can have, say, better interviews. And just so the show can be better, we need your help. So... Send it to a friend, send it, post about it on Twitter, all that stuff. Um, you know, form your own nice games club. Get, get a bunch of folks together and have a listening party or something corny like that. I don't know. <laughs> <laughs> well, don't get them together together. No. Just like to, together virtually together. Right. Together insofar as we here in the clubhouse has gotten together, which is yeah. uh, through video calls, chats. Um, and longing glances out the apartment window across the city skyline. Um, uh, yeah. <laughs> um, Steven, you have an idea here on how, on a way, another fun yeah. way you can send a message to a friend. You can send people a mixtape of nice games club content. You can, I guess you could probably send them a mixtape of all the times I said, dang, <laughs> I say that a lot. <laughs> That would be fun, right? Is this is this just a way to get li- to outsource our our like clips uh, com- compilation work to listeners? Because I'm on board. <laughs> no, Mark, shh, this is definitely not that. <laughs> you know, I think a, a low effort way to do that is to check out our website, nicegames.club, and go through and look at some topics, some episodes that either you remember enjoying or seem interesting to revisit. And uh, get a couple of those links and send four or five of them to friends as, a, as an invite to get started on the content of the show. One of the great yeah. things about our program is that um, our topics are not uh, especially timely. And so we, our archive has a lot of uh, value and it's growing every week. Um, so if you, if you, uh, you know, take a look and see, oh, hey, they were talking about, uh, uh, um, you know, presenting at events or VR uh, stuff or... Uh, you know, uh, consoles or any particular topic that's interesting to, to me or might be interesting to a developer or enthusiast friend of mine, um, send that stuff their way. Otherwise, they're never going to hear it. It's all on you, man. Yeah.
All right. Uh, Ellen, uh, this episode is crossing the one hour mark. Um, and I don't know about you, but I'm relatively comfortable. You two of you find that you have a good place to sit? You're doing good? Um, <laughs> eh. yeah. I mean, I'm sitting on a couch. So that's that's pretty good. It is I guess. Nice. Com- okay. comfort comfortable. Wait. Yeah, I have just a chair. Do you? Th- well, uh, huh? <laughs> do you two, do you two think that I'm uh, I'm talking to you off air or because I'm actually trying to do a transition here? I know. I didn't <laughs> no, have I you know. a transition. <laughs> okay. I'm because to be I honest, I, I don't really care if you're comfortable. I'm just trying to get us <laughs> to the next topic. Okay. <laughs> uh, one of the things. So yeah, I uh, one of the things I I did read about when it comes to ergonomics is that your couch is not necessarily ergonomically acceptable although it might be comfortable <laughs> i'm still cracking up over that whole transition <laughs> yeah, we're keeping it yeah. okay, good. <laughs> so the, the topic is ergonomics is that the top that yeah the topic topic is ergonomics <laughs> okay. you got this is what happens when you can't be in the same room with other humans you guys. Yeah. <laughs> right because because my transition was otherwise perfect right yeah <laughs> yeah <laughs> Yeah. (laughs) No, I mean, we've all been stuck inside for so long. And for me, it's been really crappy. I mean, for everyone, it's been crappy. But I, my job is on the computer. All the get togethers I have are on the computer now. Uh, My D&D group is meeting digitally or virtually. My podcast is recording virtually. My family's calling on each other on Zoom. My husband's family is calling each other on Zoom. Everything is taking place like in the same five feet of space. Yeah, through a single window, right? Through a single window, through a single window, and I'm sitting for all of it, and it's driving me a little crazy. Um, mm. And I didn't really, really realize how how much it, I just really didn't anticipate how much that would affect me. Like, I'm not sick. I feel very fortunate about that. I still have my job. I feel very fortunate about that. But I've been spending so much time at my computer that I have basically stopped playing video games at all, like mm-hmm. completely, because I'm just, it's the same space I've been seeing for 12 hours a day. And at the office, like when I'm working at the office, I have a standing desk. So even if I'm working, you know, a full day at the office doing computery stuff, I'm not sitting. And I have a, I'm fortunate enough to have a desk by a window. So it doesn't feel like I'm in the same place or in the same position when I go home and I, you know, play something on the computer. Mm-hmm. Now it is the exact same position on the exact same device. <laughs> and I just can't bring myself to boot up steam and play anything unless there's other people, you know, in a group waiting for me. So I feel really sad because it's like, okay, this whole thing, COVID-19 has also taken away something that I really like doing. On the other hand, I would rather not play games and remain healthy. So yeah, yeah. I don't know. You guys feeling the same way or not so much? Uh... I guess it's a little different because like the place I work or record podcasts or whatever is different from the place I'm playing games. Mm-hmm. Like, I go to my living room to do worky things. Like I'm like half as productive than I am would be in the office, but like I'm still, it's still like a separate area. Mm-hmm. It's a little weird because this is where I watch TV too. So um, uh, I, I guess I'm, I'm not much of an outdoors person either. So I don't mm-hmm. mind being indoors all the time. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. It, it has a, that that specific uh, thing hasn't been as much of an issue for my, myself personally. It is interesting that the two of you describing 
the the difference seems to be steven you were saying you play games in your bedroom you do work stuff in the living room and so mm-hmm. even though it's all of like 20 feet away mm-hmm. it's it still feels like there's a commute right and you, yeah. you, bit, you can yeah. you can mode switch right mm-hmm. uh, and then ellen you're describing a scenario where you need you do need that physical separation mm-hmm. and and giving up on games is the safer mental choice for you, even though it it represents a loss. Yeah. Yeah. Well, it's just the only thing that seems reasonable. I could take, I mean, I have a desk set up to do things that require working at a desk and, or playing computer games. Um, So I do have my laptop and I could move around the house with that. But if I'm sitting on the couch with my laptop, that becomes very uncomfortable very quickly. Yeah. Yeah. And also dogs are all over me all the time. <laughs> if I'm sitting on the couch or if I'm working from the bed, which I do do occasionally, there are dogs on me instantly. Yeah. I don't regret it. They're cute. <laughs> <laughs> They're happy about it. Yeah. It yeah, doesn't yeah. make it hard to work though. They do not contribute to, to work at all. <laughs> they got to pay their own weight. <laughs> they do in like looking cute. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> What's the exchange rate on that currency? <laughs> oh, like... Uh, I don't want to do the math. <laughs> I'll, I'll leave the economics to Steven. <laughs> but yeah, and I th- maybe it is like I haven't set up a, a workspace versus a gaming space. That might be part of it. So mm-hmm. I have to experiment with that a little bit, depending on yeah. how long this all lasts. But it did get, get me thinking about like trying to make things a little bit more comfortable physically so that it isn't so much of a drag to stay at the same desk all the time. Yeah. Yeah. And so that kind of got me looking into ergonomics and like what what actually constitutes a good setup for your desk, um, how it how that differs. Like if you're going to do a PC setup and make it ergonomically acceptable so that you you don't physically harm yourself by sitting and playing for a long period of time. It's different for console, right? Because a console, you're probably not sitting at a desk. You're probably sitting at a couch Mm -hmm. or something. And there are some different rules for ergonomics around that. And then I I thought about it like the fact that my desk actually is fairly ergonomically set up well. Like I have my chair at the right height so that my elbows are at the right bend and my wrist is at the right bend for the mouse. So it's not like torquing itself and my monitors are up at the right level so that my eyes are at the right height. I've been sitting pretty well. I've actually don't have a great chair. Mark has a great chair. Apparently (laughs) I don't have a great chair at home, but I have like taken to actually wearing like fashion corsets Mm -hmm. during the day because you can't slouch in a corset. You have to sit up like, good posture and that's actually made it um pretty comfortable to stay sitting all day Hmm. but even so the habits are really what i have the most control over Mm -hmm. so trying to like work in good ergonomically friendly habits Mm -hmm. healthy healthy habits has been one of the main areas where i've been trying to experiment since i've been stuck at home i I know one thing that's been helpful for like if you're if you're playing a game for a long time or working on a computer for a long time uh i know that people have been have told me that like, you know, getting up and taking a break for 10, 15, 20 minutes would mm-hmm. be nice. I know a lot of people are like going out for walks yeah. nowadays. Yeah. Well, again, the dogs help like, Oh yeah. Right. I have, like, you have to walk pretty, the dogs. But like, I mean, like it kind of reminds me of, I can't remember. I think it was the Wii. Yeah. After you played for so a lot, such a, you know, so long of a period of time, it would say, mm-hmm. Hey, you've been playing for a while. You should take a break. And I hated that. <laughs> like I will decide when I want to break, yeah. and then of course I'll sit down and play for four hours. Or your dogs will. <laughs> yeah, now it's my dogs will decide when I need right, a break, right. and that is a good reminder to get up and move around. But yeah, I mean, like I feel like you can sink a lot of money and time into setting up a really good 
ergonomically designed workspace or play space. Mm -hmm. Yeah. I'm not a medical professional, but it seems like one of the most cost-effective ways you can take care of your physical health and mental health when you're using like a sitting position to engage with an activity is just get up and walk around regularly. Yeah, yeah. yeah. Like every so often, I will definitely, I'll sit up, I'll stand up and walk around my apartment for like 15 or 20 seconds and then go back Mm -hmm. and sit down. Like I'll just Mm -hmm. sort of, like I'll pace around my living room just thinking about the problem I'm working on or whatever and then just go back to what I was doing. Like it's, Mm -hmm. uh, I try, I try not to make it something I need to schedule. I just try to like, try to make it a habit. Like, cause I am, I am definitely the type of person who will sit in front of my machine and work for 15 hours. Like I, there are many documented instances where I have done that and I don't really have a problem with that. Like I'm okay with that, but I think I do need to have um, coping mechanisms to be able to do it. Um, which includes having a, like an extremely ergonomic setup and also to, to, if I, like my back hurts a little bit, just to be like, okay, now's the time to get up and walk around for a minute rather than wait till it gets worse, yeah. I guess. Mm-hmm. Uh, you know, it, it can't really reverse the consequences of staying put for, you know, 12 hours plus, but I, it certainly makes it less stressful for me to do that. Um, mm-hmm. But I, you guys were describing uh, or having different spaces for work and play or needing different spaces for work and play. I am not that way at all. I have, <laughs> uh, and part of this is like my, I have this philosophy that like I am a spaceship. And so wherever I am, I want to be at the control center of my entire life. And so that means like uh, when I'm at my laptop, I want to make sure that everything is immediately synced to the cloud so I can just uh, go on my phone and see all the same data that also means that I want to be able to do any task wherever I am. And mm-hmm. so I don't associate anything with any place, but it takes a long time to get to that kind of thinking. But I, I, ha- I place some value in that. So at my, my desk at home is my workstation. I have a you know, dual monitor set up like Ellen was describing. Like Ellen, you had a great list of like, these are all the things like the elbow position, the you know, chair height, the, the monitor height, like all of that. Like that's a great list of like the sort of, minimums you need to work more than three hours without suffering right um Mm -hmm. i've got all that set up and i'm very pleased with it i also have at the end of my desk i have a smaller monitor that's a television and so i watch tv at my desk and i have in the living room i have my consoles i have them with an hdmi splitter runs through the wall hooked up to a little tv so from here in my desk at home where i am currently (laughs) podcasting to you right now I can control my entire life. And that's really valuable to me mm-hmm. because then it means mm-hmm. I can go from thought to execution as quickly mm-hmm. as possible. It also means I get a little nervous when I'm absent some of those uh, clear paths to action. Uh, but essential to that is, is an ergonomic uh, workspace. Mm-hmm. Uh, I used to, you know, I used to have a really cheap Ikea chair and, and I leaned forward in it all the time. And I just, I just thought that's how everything was. And then I spent a boatload of money on an office chair and this was many years ago now, but like, and it's, it's too much money. It, I, I do not regret it at all. And so I think if you can find your, like those, uh, uh, Aeron chairs are pretty mm-hmm. good. And there's a bunch of knockoffs that are also really good. Mm-hmm. And there's, uh, there are so many companies that bought a hundred of them and then went out of business that you can get a used one for relatively cheap. Yeah. So I think, you know, th- there's, there's nothing like spending more money than you have to, to solve a problem past the point you needed it solved. But that's out of reach of a lot of people. And you can't Mm -hmm. just blanketly recommend that to everybody. But like getting yourself a nice office chair and spending, actually investing in it is something that I think it sounds so boring, but you will thank yourself like four years later, you'll thank yourself. 
Yeah. Well, and especially like if you're spending so much time in it, because yeah. it's, you know, something it's, it's where you make your living is at your desk and it's where you get a lot of your entertainment is at your desk. And it's also where you, at least for now are doing a lot of your social interaction. It's worth it to get a good, you know, to spend the money if you have it on a good desk chair. Yeah. It doesn't have to be a gaming chair because any ergonomic chair is going to be helpful. And I think a lot of the gaming chairs out there are ugly. <laughs> <laughs> I, I have a question about that. Uh, I've always thought gaming chairs are not just ugly, but uh, they always felt superfluous. Like they looked like they were, they had a lot of features that were just marketing speak. Are they actually good er- ergonomically or is it all just snake oil? I don't know. I don't know. I've never used a gaming chair for more than five minutes. Yeah. So <laughs> I don't know. <laughs> you were like, I, I don't like what this is doing to me. And then you got out. <laughs> <laughs> no, it's just I, the only time I've ever had an opportunity to sit in a gaming chair is like at some form of an event or something. Yeah. Yeah. I've never owned one. So like I've never needed to. And mm-hmm. I, I think they're kind of expensive. Like the chair I have is just an Ikea chair and it works well enough for me. Yeah. Mm-hmm. At least uh, the one I have for my desk. Uh huh. Yeah. You'll get sick of it soon enough. Like, <laughs> yeah. Ikea chairs are like $110 or something for like a pretty good one. And like yeah. you will get, and they're not perfect and mm. some are better than others. That still seems like a lot of money if you don't have a lot of money to spend on an office yeah. chair. Yeah. Yeah. But that's definitely, that's a good starter, a start for people. If they can't afford a proper ergonomic chair, Ikea does make some pretty good ones. Go to their showroom and test it out. Once you're able to go to the showroom and test it out. <laughs> right. <laughs> Uh, I think they're delivering. So if you you can you can check reviews online, and 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 I'm sure there's a rich activity on the IKEA Reddit um, about which ones are are worth it and which ones aren't. Mm-hmm. But whatever your budget is for something like this, you you really should spend a little more than you want to. I think. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah. It's not it's not happy advice, but I think that's I think it is good advice. Um, mm-hmm. The one I have is the is the. Um, it might be the most expensive office chair on the planet that's not like made out of gold or something. It's the Herman Miller Embody. It's so much money that I have forgotten how much money it is. Like, I'm going to look it up right now. Yes, please do. <laughs> but it is like it, it has like a mesh seat, so it's breathable. So you can sit in it without getting sweaty. The back, and you guys are seeing me on the, uh, on the video chat, um, it is, uh, is completely flexible. It's almost like it's like a hammock in that as you move your shoulders, the back completely changes shape. And is always in contact at every point with every part of your back. Like I'm making it sound sci-fi. It's actually not that complicated of an engineering task. It's just a really good idea executed pretty well. And I I really can sit in one position in this chair, even absent my little one to five minute breaks. I can sit in here for hours and hours and hours and it's totally comfortable. It's also helped me uh, break out of the habit of leaning forward. I used to lean forward and I, I didn't use the, I might as well just be sitting on a stool. And that's how it was yeah. when I had my old Ikea chair that I really liked and was comfortable. But when I really got into the process of working, uh, it suddenly just became a stool. And then my back hurt all the time. And I didn't know why, because I couldn't really trace the, it took me a long time to figure it out. But this mm-hmm. thing is just like, it's broken me of that habit. Uh, and I when, I, when I sit in other chairs, I find myself leaning forward and I'm confused because I'm like, that's not how I sit. And it's like, it's because it's this freaking chair. It's mm-hmm. so good. Mm. It's, har- it's hard to recommend because it is colossally expensive. It is. Uh, well, let me read off the features. It comes <laughs> with a 12-year warranty. <laughs> wow. It has something called pixelated support trademark, which reacts to the smallest micro movements. This episode is not brought to you by Herman Miller. No, no, but <laughs> this is all just to set up the price tag that I'm going to read off in a couple bullets. Yes, okay. yes. Human back inspired design. I mean, I'd hope so. It's not made for elephants. Ninety five percent recyclable. That's cool. Oh, wow. Yeah, it's a sustainably made product, which is cool. Yeah, 
made in Michigan at a 100% green energy facility. Wow. It is $1,600. Oh. Yep. Uh-huh. Yep. That's... <laughs> I I remember I got a I think I probably spent twelve hundred dollars on it. I got like a deal. But, oh. but like that's still a stupid amount of money. That is a that's lot so of money for us. But so much money. I I bought this chair seven years ago. Yeah. Yeah. So, oh, okay. So I mean, per month, it's peanuts. You know yeah, what I mean? Yeah, it's added up. Um mm-hmm. that is Well like, you're not you're only just a little bit of more than halfway through the twelve year warranty. <laughs> that's true. And that's the thing. If if <laughs> if it fails, I actually I can get the thing replaced. So, you know, it's actually quite, it's a, you know, make you faint amount of cash, but I've spent a huge amount of my life in it. It's like people say, buy a good mattress. It's basically that, you know what I mean? Yeah. Mm -hmm. Considering how little I sleep, it's probably worth more valuable than the the mattress. (laughs) (laughs) Well, I'm glad that you mentioned that too, because I'm actually finding myself now, like before COVID-19 and the stay at home order here in Minnesota, um, I didn't really spend a lot of time organizing my office space because it was really just a gaming space for me. Like I would come home, I would not be at work anymore. My entire, like my field of vision would be taken up by new things that I hadn't seen all day. And so I just be able to sit down and like put my nice headphones on and not really think too much about my chair because I'd only have a couple hours to play anyway. And I'd play and be good. I'd take the dog on a walk. I'd come home and play. And now since I'm spending like eight hours working, and then walking the dog and then going, what am I going to do with my evening? I am spending a little bit more time just like making the office space nicer so that yeah. it just feels nicer to be in it for a long period of time. And I actually have now like feeling better about spending more time in the evening um, on the computer. So I actually might be able yeah. to reclaim some of my game time um, because I've been investing a little bit more time and energy into the space. And I haven't gone out and bought a $1,500, sorry, $1,600 chair. <laughs> um, and I haven't really done much. I did, I did get another monitor, but that's because my old one broke. So that's been an upgrade, but like to lift the monitors up, I just grabbed some scrap wood from the garage and stuck it on the oh, yeah, yeah. monitors. You know, like I don't have a footrest. I have like some more scrap wood that I grabbed at the garage and mm-hmm. made a made a little um, footrest out of it. But it, it is it's more comfortable, and I'm starting to decorate a little bit more. And I've got a screen for behind me, and it is becoming more comfortable space. It's just I didn't really like I just never really expected to have to think about that so much, especially in terms of like how I engaged with this with gaming. Yeah, yeah. So it's been interesting how these these current times have revealed some of those nuances. Mm-hmm. Yeah, that's that's another thing that I find really valuable is when my desk gets kind of cluttered, and I'm not re- I'm not really a neat freak, but I do I do like things organized and at right angles to each other and stuff like that. When my desk gets a little cluttered, I will just be like, all right, I'm I'm stopping what I'm doing. I'm spending the next hour getting everything perfect, and then once mm-hmm. I do that, it is it really is like a very refreshing feeling that can calm you. Whereas if I'm playing a video game on the couch, I am perfectly comfortable with a half open bag of chips. Like in between the couch cushions, I don't care. Like, yeah. <laughs> you know what I mean? Yeah. <laughs> like it's fine. <laughs> uh, talk to my wife, who is happy to like crumble Oreos in bed, and you can, like we have a very uh, mixed. We we both both of us are both messy and uh, neat freaks. Depending on the context, we're it, we're impossible to figure out. Um, <laughs> but at my desk, I really like even if it's stuff I'm using. That is just, I don't need it now. Like, I, I, I want to organize. Mm-hmm. I, or, I, I make sure my cables are nice and cleanly organized. I, I don't want, um, uh, like, HDMI cables, like, curving out the side of a monitor and then back underneath it. 
Like I want a sort of tidy uh, thing because it's like it is the cockpit of my spaceship. Yeah. You know what I mean? Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. It's psychological more than anything in a lot of ways. Um, mm-hmm. But that can really help you make the space less of a burden on you when it needs to yeah. do multiple things, I guess. Well, that, yeah. and there's an argument for that being like a bit of a, a burden, as you said, like uh, having your space not be clean can bother you even if you're not actively paying attention to it yeah. being mm-hmm. messy. I think it just makes it harder to be in that space. Yeah. Yeah. It, it's a little bit, it's a, it's more taxing on your mind. Yeah. It creates like psychological noise that you have to filter through. Right, yep. right, right. You know, so in looking, and I'm not, there's probably a specific name for like the psychological ergonomics of a space. Um, so I'll have to lead to some interesting Googling by our audience or maybe after the fact, but there's tons and tons of stuff about the ergonomics of a desk, right? Because it's not just about gaming. It's also about like PC gaming. It's also about this all applies to people who are working in an office space. There's also a bunch of study around ergonomics of like console gaming Mm -hmm. and what you should be doing with your chairs in your living room so that you're sitting in a, in a useful place. And I'll, I'll include some links in the show notes, but you know, I always, I always think of like when I'm console gaming, I'm sitting on the couch and I've got my feet up on like a, uh, an ottoman or whatever, or, or something. And I'm leaning back and I've got my controllers in my lap and I'm staring at the screen. Um, or sometimes I'm sitting on the floor and my back is against the bottom of the couch or whatever. Mm-hmm. What I was reading is um, one of the reasons that people who study ergonomics, from what I understand, don't recommend using couches for gaming is because it, it creates the tendency to lean forward. So if you like think about how you're yeah. gaming in a group, yeah. like there's not necessarily enough space on all the ottomans to have everybody have their feet up. So, <laughs> so everyone ends up like sitting on the edge of the couch with their elbows on their knees, with their controller between their knees, mm-hmm. like leaning forward, like looking way up at the screen. And that's really bad for your back. Right. It's like it, a stock photo of, of a gamer. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> it is, it's there's no, there's no armrests that are suitable to holding a controller. Even on like, yeah. even on like a lounge chair or like a lazy boy, like the armrests are too low or they're too far apart, too wide. And so mm-hmm. there's nowhere for your arms to go when you're holding right. a controller except on your knees or in your lap. And then that neither of those are, are good for your back. Right. So, of course, there are like now gaming specific living room chairs you can get. <laughs> if you're comfortable not having anybody over even after this <laughs> era is, is, is complete. Uh, right. <laughs> And that, that's so, it was really weird to look at this. I'm like, okay, but yeah, I'm not going to set up my living room that way because I do also use this place to watch movies and yeah. have people over to watch movies and so on and so forth. Like, what am I supposed to do with all these nice gaming chairs and the little like floor rockers that you, you know, when we aren't using those? Mm-hmm. Um, so I think I'm just going to stick with the couch. Yeah. Yeah. I'm mostly on the couch too, but I, I, I do notice I can't play for longer than an hour or two before I'm like, I really would be more comfortable at my desk, but I don't actually like <laughs> playing video games at my desk because I, I am a console gamer. So I really think of, about the living room is where I play video games for the most part. So, mm-hmm. uh, that's the one exception to my, uh, uh, spaceship cockpit, I guess. Um, but what I have done is I have this, uh, just a, ex- just a, uh, like a l- mid century chair. It's not, it's not a comfy chair. It's got a pretty like uh, solid back that's in my living room. And I will just move that to the center of my living room and sit mm-hmm. in that. And it's, it's not quite an office chair, but it's kind of close. And then I can go like an hour longer, maybe. <laughs> mm-hmm. And then my, I, I can put my, uh, my elbows on the armrests and hold the controller. Mm-hmm. Okay. Uh, that's if I want a sustained console session, I'll, I'll do that. I have not thought to drag my $1,600 office chair out into the living room. And I don't know why, cause that seems like a great idea. <laughs> 
<laughs> yeah, it's not like you don't have any stairs. <laughs> yeah, it's not that. Far. Oh, I should do that. Um, when I was when I was younger uh, and I lived with my parents, I used to sometimes I would like stand up and play a game. Mm-hmm. I don't know oh, why yeah. I did. I don't know exactly sure why I did that. I just would do it. Oh, I, I could I, never I, that do that. Helpful. I bet. I bet that's comfy. It, honestly, oh, you know, I think I did it when I uh, when I was playing on the Wii. It was more comfortable. I think. Yeah. It probably would be more comfortable on the Switch too, because I like having the Joy Cons out by themselves. Like, right. Yeah, right. Hands wherever yep. you want. Mm-hmm. Yep. So like, I think it was. I think it was nice and comfortable. And I think at that point, I was thinking I should like stand more. I, I tend to sit down because mm-hmm. like mm-hmm. I was. I think this was back when I was like in high school, so I was sitting all the time. Because that was the style of the time. <laughs> right. <laughs> uh, and so I think that, like, I um, I think I was, like, trying to be conscious of it. And, like, I was just trying to stand up more while I was playing games. Yeah. Um, and I remember that being comfortable at least for a little while. Like, obviously, it shortens the amount of time you want to actually play the game. Cause, right. Like, you're standing the whole time. But, like, it wasn't it wasn't terrible. Yeah. Well, it becomes a, re- a reasonable gaming session. Right. Yeah, yeah, exactly. Well, yeah, as long as your TV is at a comfortable height and stuff, mm-hmm. it's not like you're looking straight down at it, you know. Yeah, uh, that can yeah. be valuable. I have. I'm so glad we talked about this topic because now I have so many ideas for how I can I can do this. I've got I've got one. I can make my space nicer. Two. I can get a, a crazy expensive chair. I can't actually do that right now. Um, <laughs> but I could spend less time playing on the PC and more time playing on the switch downstairs mm-hmm. while I'm standing up or lying down or doing whatever. <laughs> yeah. Uh, you know, Steven, you mentioned the split joy con. Yeah. It, which is your preferred way to play. Um, mm-hmm. That is even just sitting on the couch with your hands at your sides, you know, near your pockets. Yeah. Like playing that way is really comfortable. Uh, it really mm-hmm. is. It's so comfy. Mm-hmm. Uh, it, it takes a, it takes just a bit. It's not, doesn't take as much getting used to as you might expect if you're not used to playing that way. Yeah. Uh, and you do have to kind of like do it on purpose. Like if I'm holding the the Joy-Con in roughly the same way I'd hold a regular controller, but just a little looser or freer, then it feels mm-hmm. weird and I don't like it. But if I just right. drop my hands at my side, they don't even have to be oriented correctly because my muscle memory knows. Then it's yeah. then I then I can go into that headspace where it's like this is just a controller now and I yeah. I can forget where my hands are. And then yeah, then my shoulders don't hurt as much. Yeah. Yeah. Elbow angles. Yeah. Start with your elbow angles. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, and if you do get an office chair at IKEA, spend the extra $20 for the armrests. And if you get the $1600 office chair, spend the extra $100 for the armrests because yes, they cut separately. <laughs> because because I always leaned forward when I was younger, I put my my arms on my desk, right? Mm-hmm. And so I was like, I don't need armrests. It's utterly useless. I I'm fine. And then it wasn't until I learned to lean back finally that I realized I really did need armrests that were level with my desk. And it mm. was very much a benefit. But just other little things like, Ellen, you're talking about having like monitors at, at the right height. And you were saying you just got some scrap wood. I think that's the thing. Like When I recommend this insane, stupidly expensive chair, it's because there is nothing like it. that You can't, right. you can't get what, that for cheap. Uh, whereas there are a lot of things that you can spend a lot of money on that are not worth it at all like most of the things you can get for your office that are high quality are cheap things from ikea right they they sell these little um boards that you can just buy legs on and then you can put your monitors on that uh Mm -hmm. they're they're sort of like um they have dozens of different desk systems uh that you can get and they're all relatively cheap especially compared to going like an office supply store you don't have to spend a lot of money on everything (laughs) 
you know? Mm-hmm. In fact, you should be avoiding it as much as you can so that you can save that money for the things you do need to spend on. Right. Spend your resources where they're going to be the most impactful. And generally, that's yeah. going to be on, like, your chair. Yeah. And, you know, also, like, a monitor that is that is good, that is bright enough, uh, that it has enough contrast that you're not uh, glaring at it, has good viewing angles. Yeah. That is has a resolution that is comfortable for your eyes at the distance uh, that you want to view it and the size that you're uh, interested in. But then there are certain things that, like, I just need to move this here. Well, any any piece of cardboard or, or wood will do. Um, I think the one exception to that is if your desk wobbles, then I think you'll have long-term problems. <laughs> that's I think that's just an opinion. You can have a wobbly <laughs> desk, go for it. But there are some, it, it, then things kind of shift around and then you lose that psychology of neat and, t- and orderly. I've definitely had that where I will, I'll be at a workspace or, or if like I'm working at a coffee shop and it's like a wobbly table, it will like, it wrecks my productivity. I don't know if either of you have that feeling. Yeah, no, if I have a wobbly table at a coffee shop, I yeah. take a napkin, fold it up a bunch of times and stick it under one of the legs. Yeah. I can't stand that. <laughs> yeah. It's almost as bad as bag of chips in the couch cushions. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> well, you can, you know, you can get a desk that's kind of like a like ho- like a hollow door kind of desk that kind of mm-hmm. like echoes when you tap it and it has kind of flex to it and it can be very cheap and affordable. Uh, and there's lots of kits like you can go to like a Target or an Ikea and get stuff like that. But really, you should just get like a solid like a block of wood or particle board that you can attach legs to that is that is sturdy um, and doesn't have a lot of flex because you're going to be resting your hands on it. And, and that has some weight. And it, if it kind of like wiggles as you move around, you'll actually be using a lot of micro movements and like actually wearing yourself out. Um, hmm. stuff like that. It's the same with, with office chairs. If you're. If the if the the stem of the office chair, the like the part that goes from the seat to the wheels, if that stem like wobbles a little bit as you move back and forth, it might not feel uncomfortable at all. But you'll be using a lot of your energy stabilizing yourself in tiny movements all day, and so like that kind of like that steadiness, that sturdiness for the things that are, that matter, I, I think are important. I don't know what kind of studies are on that, but I know that I get really I get weirded out when it's not when everything when something's just a little off. It'll get to me throughout the day. Yeah, it, it adds up. You know, all mm-hmm. those things. But I think it, it it has to vary from person to person because I can't put my laptop on my lap. I can't handle that, but a lot of people mm. can. <laughs> so yeah. so it, it, I think your mileage will definitely vary as to what is important to you and what isn't, you know? Yeah, I guess one way to look at it is just trying new things. If, like, this isn't working, try a, some, try something else and see if this is a better solution for you. Yeah, mm-hmm. yeah. And it, and if, if something irritates you, don't resign yourself to it being unsolvable. Like, get creative, you know? Mm-hmm. I've got more scrap wood. Let me know. <laughs> 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 all right, that is our show. If you liked it, please leave us a five-star review in your favorite podcast app and tell all your friends, too. If you're interested in any of the topics we talked about in this episode, be sure to check out our website, NiceGames.Club, for more show notes and links to resources. Like with playtesting our games, we're always looking for feedback on the podcast. You can do that uh, by going to NiceGames.Club slash feedback and tell us what you think. Get in touch with us on Twitter, at NiceGamesClub, where Dale tweets game dev resources and pictures of cats, or by email at contact at NiceGames.Club. Ask us questions and give us suggestions for topics. So, until we start again... Remember to play nice and make nice.
Thank you for correcting that. <laughs> I knew what I meant. <laughs>